morning. Please pull out your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible and would like one, raise your hand and an usher will bring you one. Otherwise, the words I believe are going to be above my head. So, the reading from John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one that I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Amen. Thanks, Brian. Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Welcome to Table Church. It's great to see all of you. If you didn't catch it earlier, don't forget you already have plans tonight, whether you knew it or not. Four to six o'clock, open house at the Ministry Center, 855 17th Street. We're excited to see all of you there. Uh, we're going to have a chili dinner. All kinds of people bring in chili and all kinds of other stuff to go along with it. we got a hot chocolate bar, all kinds of other things happening. We'd love to see you there. You can, of course, bring friends if you want to. Um, is it for kids? Yes. Is it for adults? Yes. It's for everybody. Have a good time. So we got all kinds of fun things planned. I have a life-sized Frosty the Snowman in my office. So, um, you know, come and see that. Come and see what is going on tonight? So we would love to have you there. Um, good time to bring your group together, too, if you got a table group that wants to get together one more time before we go do all of our Christmas stuff, all right? Okay, so um, we have been walking through uh, the Gospels during Advent this year, and we started out in Matthew like you might expect, but then we bounced over to Luke last week, and now we're going to go to John, okay? So we're in John 1 this week. We're walking through four witnesses to the birth of Jesus, okay? Now last week, Pastor Phil preached on Luke, and he illustrated quite a bit that you are one of Jesus' people. You're one of Jesus' people. Jesus didn't just come. He came for you, for real people. came for you. Now, if you joined us, you might remember that we did this exercise at the end of the message last week where uh, everybody shared how Jesus first came to them. So they looked back to that point in their life when they really can see this is that entry point where they know for sure uh, they were aware of Jesus in their life. Okay, now we have this beautiful stack of responses 
at the office, and Phil and I have loved getting to go through them all. It's just absolutely incredible, all the stories. And we're going to talk more about those later. But I loved the one that my husband shared. It seemed particularly prescient. And these were all anonymous. Nobody put their name on them. But I know his story, and I know his handwriting. And I assumed that it would be okay if I just shared it with all of you here today. And I didn't get permission. So Jim wrote, I was at a retreat in Brookings, South Dakota. It was the first time I realized Jesus sacrificed for me. And that's different, isn't it? That is different. There's a difference between hearing your whole life, and I know Jim grew up in church where he heard it all the time. Jesus is the Lamb of God. He's the Son of God. He came for the sins of the whole world. Right? But there was a moment when he was almost about ready to go to college, the first time he really, really got it that Jesus came for him, specifically. There is a difference. Jesus came for you, specifically. Now, as you look at the full scope of Scripture, you can see that God has been arriving for his people from the very beginning. Right? He talked and walked with Adam and Eve in the garden, and he preserves the world through Noah, and he made a covenant with Abram, and he preserved his promise through persecution and slavery, and he spoke out of a burning bush to Moses to go let his people go. He parted the sea. He led his people through the wilderness for 40 years. He tabernacled with his people. He was mobile, moving through the desert with them. And then the temple, he's there in this really spectacular way. But it's not just in these big sweeping ways that God shows up with his people and for his people. It's also very intimate. He gives children to barren couples. He shows up for Hagar in the middle of the wilderness when she is certain that she and her child are about to die. God shows up and he doesn't just say, Hagar, I'm watching you. I'm here watching you. He sees her and he tells her that in a way that proves to her that she is seen by God. He's not just watching her. He sees her. He is with her her. All right. Jesus came for you. He came for you. And today, the point of this message is Jesus didn't just come for you. Jesus came just like you. He came for you just like you, a human being just like you, the easiest thing for you to relate to. Today we're in that first chapter of John, and we're going to first consider the distance between the last book of the Old Testament and the first book of the New Testament, okay? Between Malachi being written and when these gospel accounts were being written after the resurrection, there's over 400 years of time, a 400-year gap, okay, where things kind of have a break in Scripture for us as Jesus followers. Now, we don't have, you know, uh, a lot when it comes to understanding everything that was happening for God's people in that time, but we know quite a bit. And we know a lot about what was happening in the world in general, okay? It's not a dark time in history. Like, we have a lot of information from this period of time, but Scripture has a huge break, okay? 
Now, uh, when we look back at that segment of time, it's called the intertestamental period, okay? There's a lot going on, but for God's people, it was a particularly difficult time. Okay, so 400 plus years after Malachi is written, God's people are experiencing oppression. Things are incredibly difficult for them. And so when you read in the Gospels that there's this Jewish person who gets incredibly overwhelmed with excitement at the acknowledgement, the understanding for the first time that this, Jesus, this is the Messiah, this is the Son of God, this is him. They're so excited. It's so miraculous to them because they have been waiting for this. That joy is palpable because they have felt the darkness. These people feel the weight of waiting. They're waiting for God to show up, to come to them, to deliver them. They have felt it for hundreds of years. Now thinking about our own time, our own dark moments, think about modern times. Um, One way that we often will talk about these seasons of our life is deconstruction. It's It's in the world a lot. These days you'll hear that term deconstruction. And I'm pretty sure most of you have a good grasp of what it is. When you're deconstructing, particularly deconstructing your faith, if you feel like you're in a phase of that, a season of that, really all it is is just a moment where for whatever reason, there's this catalyst that just kind of moves you into a season of taking a bit of a step back to be able to build a bit of distance between you and the water you've been swimming in so that you can get an opportunity to just kind of take a good look at everything that you've been doing in your life with God, to try to kind of parse out what things are really like truly a part of the life of faith and what things was I accidentally just doing. (laughs) Um, You know, is this worth it? Do I believe this is true? Is it worth it for me to live this way? All of that is a really good thing to do. It's a really good thing to do. Okay? And we all do it. Um, Often, many times in our lives, we go through seasons where we need to take a step back and consider and take inventory. Okay? It's a part of growing. If you don't ever find yourself in a season like that, you're probably not changing. You're not growing. Okay? So it's a good thing. But uh, I have an old seminary professor I'm friends with on Facebook, and he wrote this a few weeks ago, and I love it. He's thinking about Advent and deconstruction, and he says this, I overhear a fair amount of stuff on people deconstructing their faith. One of the benefits of following the Christian calendar, marking Advent, Lent, Pentecost, etc., in our worship, is that these seasons automatically deconstruct the faith. Advent is a season to be reminded that the Christian faith isn't a philosophy, It isn't a political strategy, isn't ethics, isn't a rule of life. Christian faith can lead to some of these things, of course, but Advent always tears these things away. Advent deconstructs what can become pseudo-faiths. Advent reminds us that Christian faith is, well, a faith. A holding on to the promise of God completed in Christ at his first coming and that will be fully revealed in his second. And I love that point that Dr. Perry made. We Jesus people, Jews and Gentiles, we are in our own big period of waiting. We're waiting for Christ to return again. 
and set things right for good, no matter what our particular season of life is, right? We have something new and precious while we wait, though. We have the real person of Jesus. The real person of Jesus is with us while we wait for him to return. That's an incredible mystery. It's amazing. But the world can be as dark as it can be beautiful. Amen. And sometimes the darkness in our own hearts can overwhelm us at times when we see ourselves and what we're capable of. So for any number of reasons, we can get swallowed up in these long, dark periods where things are disorienting, we feel disillusioned, we might feel distant from God or the church or other people that we used to be very close to. It's a part of growth. It's a part of change. It is going to happen. Okay, and that is where liturgy comes for us. It carries us through the advent, arrival, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus year in and out. Regardless of how we currently are doing, our lives are being moved along together as the body of Christ with the life of Jesus. Okay, that's why liturgy matters so much. Now, some Advent seasons, you might hear all this talk about waiting and darkness and all this stuff, and it barely registers because it's just not the season that you're in. But if you are a person who is in one of those seasons today, it probably strikes really near, okay? If that's you, this is for you today. Advent is here for you. Jesus is coming for you, and he's coming just like you. He's coming as a person. The easiest way for you to relate to God is through Jesus. That is the beauty of this text today. So we're going to turn back to John 1. First verse, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. So you remember back to all the ways that God comes to his people, even before Adam and Eve, the Trinity was, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. They were there, just pregnant with creative possibility. And then in verse 3, it says, Through him all things were made, through Jesus. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And think forward to Colossians. And Paul writes, For in him... All things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And John goes on, in him was life, and that life was a light of all mankind, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That's the opportunity of Advent, a season to deliberately dwell on the ever-present darkness in our lives. We have permission to pause and sit with it, to be aware of how it's pressing on you. We've got permission to grab the truth that the light is coming and that darkness can never overcome that light, even if all you see is black. That's Advent. The Savior is coming for you. You don't have to will up a sense of being sure you know that's true. Just 
trust that it's true, even if all you've got is the idea of it, God does what he's going to do. You don't have to muster it up yourself. But when the light comes, it will be him who brought it. John writes in verse 12, To all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The Savior is coming for you, and he's not just here to save you, he's here to adopt you. To return you back to his first idea for you. That's what he's doing. God made you to be with him, and when he shows up, he arrives just like you. Brings you into the family. John writes, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. God's people carrying his presence around from place to place in a tent or trying to draw near to him in a temple, none of that is needed anymore. Jesus is tabernacling right here with you. And not only as the supreme authority over everything, a perfect, untouchable presence, but also as a person that you can touch, that you can see just like you. The God the Israelites revered and followed, the Messiah they longed for, is here, and not just with authority, but with love, actual flesh and blood and bones. Even right now, the presence of the real person of Jesus is always with you. He never leaves you or forsakes you. Never. Never. John continues, no one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. If you want to know God, know Jesus. God comes to you in the way that is the easiest for you to relate through another person. And that's just so incredible. No one's ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. In Christ, you can see God, know God better than any other way. Jesus is knowable. God is knowable. Later in a letter, John writes these words again, and then he builds on this idea. And he says, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. God is love, and that love is meant to dwell in us and move out of us, which can sometimes be something we've heard hundreds of times, and it gets a bit trite. But when you need it, and someone is there to provide it, the love of God tangibly to you in your life, it matters. It matters. The primary way Jesus comes to us illustrates the way he came for the whole world, through a human person. We know God through Jesus, and we meet Jesus through people. Now, Phil and I have loved getting to read through all those stories that you shared last week, and you actually illustrated this point incredibly well. For those of you who couldn't be here, Pastor Phil invited everyone in the room at the end of his message last week to just think back to the time when Jesus first came to you. How, how did that happen? And out of those stories, 
82% of you directly mention meeting Jesus through another person. 82%. The other 18% of you mention some kind of direct encounter with Jesus himself through scripture or prayer or an event you were at. Nearly all of these were directly connected to the church in some way. And what's the church? The body of Christ. People. It's people. Now here's just a few of those stories. Um, I'm going to read a, just a few short ones here right now. Somebody met Jesus at a Christmas Eve service, which I thought was timely. That happens. Another person wrote through Pastor Phil on Facebook. This one made me laugh. Um, for those of you who don't know him, our friend Rick uh, wrote that note. I know this story. So when we first came to Des Moines, um, we didn't know anybody. We didn't know anybody in Des Moines. Okay, so um, as we're getting things going for Table Church, we're getting ready to launch this new thing. Um, there were very limited ways for us to kind of get the word out, things like that. So we did a lot of stuff on like Instagram and Facebook. And there was a period of time where we were just kind of like opening our arms to people on social media and saying, here, this is what we're doing. This is what we're about. You know, we're inviting people to this. But of course, if you do that, you're going to trigger some people who are not happy to see that in their feed, right? So it's worth it, though. It's worth it. Many of you here, I, I mean, show of hands, how many of you found us because of social media? I'm just curious. Yeah, okay. Several of you. So um, it matters. It really matters. But I tell you what, every morning in that season of life, I would wake up and my phone would be next to me and I would be a little bit afraid to pick it up and see the notifications because I would wonder like who was up late at night writing some funky comment on our videos or our message. You know, like it was just, there was you can imagine. You can imagine, right? But worth it, worth it, worth it. So I wake up one morning, and there is this message where someone had kind of said something disparaging on a video that Phil had shared just kind of talking about who we are as a church. And this guy named Rick was like, you know what? I mean, I don't even believe in God, but something about this really, like, stuck with me. I'm like, I really appreciated seeing this. <laughs> and uh, so Phil reached out to that guy. They're total strangers. They'd never met before. And he said, hey, well, I would love to talk with you more. We can get coffee. And after a series of, you know, weeks just getting to know each other, Rick ended up becoming a Christian. And uh, he was kind of like our first official convert, our first official person in Des Moines um, to start following Jesus through Table Church. So that's a really precious story. It actually happened long before we even launched like months before. So that was awesome. But it happened through two people actually talking. Can you believe it? We couldn't have accomplished that on Facebook alone. There's something about actually talking to another person that can do it. All right. Okay, I loved this one. This one is great. It says, how did Jesus come to me? I have no idea. But I do love this church and the people who are this church. Isn't that on point? Isn't that on point? I'm not entirely sure what's going on with me and God, but I know I love these people. And I know I love this church. Right? It's good to look back. It's good to look back. I know for me, I grew up in a really hard house. I grew up in a really hard situation. Okay? Okay? 
It was difficult for me growing up, uh, particularly with my family. Things were rough. And, and I remember one of my earliest memories. I was three years old. I was in my grandma's kitchen. And I don't remember why. I don't remember what I did. But my mom was just like incredibly upset about something that I had done. And I remember as a three-year-old being somewhat deep in thinking, (laughs) I think even at that age, I've always been that way. I remember as a three-year-old standing there in the kitchen, I was probably like this tall, my mom's up here, and I'm thinking, why has this brought such an irrational response from this woman? Like, I have done wrong things. This wasn't that bad, you know? I, I remember vividly thinking, like, this is not that bad. I mean, like, I've done worse. But for whatever reason, it just really tripped her, and she was really upset. And then what happened was my grandma, who had been standing over here, she comes over, and she stands right next to my mom and then sort of in front of her, and she gets down in front of me, and she just says, Megan, did you know God has a book? And every time you do something good, you get a mark. And every time you do something bad, you get a mark. And that was all she said. That was it. Nothing else. Talk about the gospel of condemnation, huh? (laughs) And um, I remember later that day, I was alone out in my backyard, sitting on my swing set, And I remember the sun is setting. I'm there all by myself. And just the weight of the world is on my shoulders. The weight of the world on my shoulders. And I remember as this little kid, little kid, I'm sitting there thinking, I will never have more good marks than bad marks. Not ever. I will never make it. Right? Few people feel like they can. And as my life goes on, that really shaped much of how I saw God and other people and myself. It absolutely had a very powerful effect on how I saw everything. God is good. I am bad. And I will never be able to be good enough to be with him. That's what I got. And so as I, as I grew up, that was always on the back of my mind. And again, I was in a really religious house. So we were in church all the time. But the good stuff from church never made its way into our doors at home. It never did. And so I just always had this idea pressed in me. You know, I will never have more good marks than bad marks. That's it. Now, as I was growing up, I had a lot of really great people in my life. My home was hard, but I was always exposed to a lot of really great families, all of them neighbors, who loved the Lord who just had big, normal, happy families doing normal stuff. And I got to be a part of that. I would just kind of come in and out of those environments where I would see how just like healthy, typical people lived as they walked with Jesus. And I remember all throughout my life, I was like, I like this. I would like to live like this when I'm older. But of course, I also knew I'm going to have more bad marks than good marks, and I'm never going to be able to have this like they have it. And um, much later, when I was 16, 
I had started kind of hanging out with a lot of those old friends from my childhood again. I hadn't been hanging out with them much, um, you know, kind of getting adjacent to the Jesus people crowd. And there was one night where I was going to turn on the TV in our living room. I was home alone. Nobody's there. And instead of turning it on, I just had this thought. I looked over and I saw our big family Bible. I don't know if you had one of these growing up, but if you did, you know, a lot of families will have like some huge Bible that's very ornate and it just sits on a shelf and you dust it once a week, but you never open it. You never read it. That's not what it's for. So we had one of those and I remember looking over at it and thinking I should pick that up and read it. And so I did. I put down the remote, and I went and got that Bible, and I picked it up, and I just opened it, just without thinking, to the Gospel of John, to John 1 that we're in today. And I remember I started reading it, and my biblical knowledge at this point, because we're very religious but never read the Bible, my knowledge at this point was this. Some of the words were read, and I wasn't sure why process of deduction, I figured it out pretty quick. But I didn't know why some of the words in the book were red and some of them were black. That's my introduction to scripture. So I open it up. I start reading John 1, 1. And before I know it, I've read through the entire book of John sitting there on my couch. And nothing big and huge happened. There wasn't some big moment, but I'm just really confident that by the time I closed the Bible that night, I knew Jesus. I knew him for real. And then um, fast forward many years later, I'm like 33, 34 years old. And um, obviously at this point, I've done a lot of living with Jesus got a family of my own. I'm uh, in seminary. You know, all these things are, are happening in my life. And I got to kind of a point in my life where you might say I was doing some deconstructing, kind of pulling away from some of the things that I had been doing in the past and sort of figuring out what I'm going to do to move into the future. And I knew if I wanted to move forward well, I needed to go back and deconstruct some things that have been, you know, in my life for a long time. And so certainly I had heard at this point the truth that, that I'm saved by grace through faith. I know that I'm good in the eyes of God. I know that Jesus loves me. I have a very deep, deep relationship with him. It's very good. But as he loves me and as I grow in him, there's always things that he says, let's go back to this so we can do this together and then move forward new. <laughs> right? So there was a time that I was praying, and I just got led. I could, I could see that moment, really visually. I could see that moment where I was just sitting there, full of con- condemnation, the, the gospel of guilt, right, on my swing set. Except this time, I could also see Jesus with me. And there he is, he's sitting right there next to me on a swing. And then he does this. He gets down in front of me and he looks me eye to eye, just as a little kid. And he takes his hands and he goes like this and he says, Megan, did you know I have a book? And your name is written in it. But I don't even need that to remember you because I have your name written on the palm of my hand. And it stuck. 
That old memory that I would always look back to, so gross. It's completely different now. I can't look back at the old thing, which it hasn't changed. It didn't like rewrite history like that did happen. But walking through it now, cognizantly knowing that Jesus is right there with me and having him speak something into it that I just couldn't get myself to believe on my own, that stuck. That stuck. And it completely changed me. There was something that I knew and that I needed to just like keep kind of reminding myself and it suddenly became incredibly easy to just let it go. That was awesome. It was awesome. It's one of the most precious ways that Jesus has ever come to me. It's a full circle moment for me. Now all of these things that God has done in my life to personally speak to me, all those things, They were able to stick and able to create real change in me, and they were able to really move me forward in incredible ways because I was always firmly rooted in the body of Christ. You can have an incredible experience with God, but if you're not intimately, intricately woven into a community of other believers, it will wither. Very hard to hold on to that on your own because it's not how we're made to work. The primary way Jesus comes to us illustrates the way that he came for the whole world through a human person. So we know Jesus through Jesus' people. There's a few more stories I want to share with you as Van is coming up. Here's the first one. Jesus came to me first through my parents showing me the faith and reflecting it in their lives. But secondly, Jesus met me personally in my brokenness and mess and made me whole again. Amen. Here's another person's response. They said, Jesus came to me on a dark night, kneeling beside my bed when my heart was breaking. That's the first time I really felt the peace that passes all understanding. Thank you, Lord. Here's another one. Jesus came to me in my siblings. God made a miracle happen. little kid wrote that. Here's another one. Jesus came to me in 10th grade at First Assembly of God Church. I can still remember the outfit I was wearing that day. Here's one more. Jesus came to me through my loneliness. In junior high, I was really struggling to fit in, and I was invited to youth group by a neighbor. I went and heard the gospel. Through many people investing in me, I came to know God. Now, here's what we're going to do to close this out. You know, in every good comic book or action movie, there's a point when you get to the fireworks factory. Like, when are we going to get to the fireworks factory? We have arrived. So everything that I've set up to this point is really leading up to right now for some fireworks. So here's what we're going to do. Everybody who's here in the room today, for those of you who are online, you can participate too. For everybody here in the room today, you don't have to be here. Unless you're a little kid who just has to come with your parents, you do not have to come to church. You're here for some reason on your own, right? We've all got our own reason. And I would venture to guess that the one main reason why nearly everybody in this room is here today is because you know Jesus, want to know him, 
and know that he has something that you cannot get anywhere else. You know that the church has something that you cannot get anywhere else. Amen? So you're here. And we could just sit in our seats and be polite. There's nothing wrong with that. I wouldn't want you to sit there and be rude. But as we close out today, you have an opportunity. God comes to us in the way he came to the world through people. And what we're going to do is Pastor Phil and I are going to come down to the front down here. And we're each going to have anointing oil. And we're going to give you an opportunity to come and to just physically get up out of your seat and move your body up here, all in a way of submitting yourself to God and saying, God, I want a transformational encounter with you. I want an encounter with Jesus that I cannot get from anyone else and that I can't manufacture on my own. If you want to do this, when we start to sing, everyone's going to stand up. And if you want this, then just get up and anytime you want to, come and walk to the front to me or to Phil. And we're going to anoint you with oil on your forehead. And when we do that, it's frankincense oil, by the way. Merry Christmas. When we do that, that is us, Jesus people, agreeing with you, a Jesus person, that Jesus is here and you can actually hear from him. You can see him. He can accomplish something in you today that only he can do. If you want that bad enough to come up here and get anointed with oil, then get up and come up here and do it. And if you don't, that's okay. You don't have to come up here. It's totally fine. God can meet you in your seat too, but there's something different about moving your body and getting a little bit undignified that can really be the key for a lot of us. And as you do that, if you, as I'm talking, have some sort of a prayer request just like burning in you right now where you're like, I don't just want that, but I have something very specific that I want to be delivered from, something very specific that's causing me grief, pain, something that I want to celebrate, something that I need. If you're thinking of something right now, then when you come up here, here's what can happen. You can have a bunch of people go before you and they all just like get anointed with oil on their forehead and that's awesome. And who knows what God is doing in them. But then you're like, oh man, now I feel bad asking for prayer. Like everybody else just did the thing, right? So as you're coming up, if you're like, I really want Pastor Phil or Megan to actually lay hands on me and pray over me, then to make it a little easier for you, you can come up and when it's your turn, you just go like this and that says like, hey, I need prayer. And then we're going to ask you what you need prayer for and we're going to lay hands on you and pray over you right now, right here in the service, okay? I don't care how long it takes. If you want to get prayed for, you're going to get prayed for, okay? So as we do this, if you have little kids with you and you're worried about leaving them in, in, in the seat, you can either bring them with you or you can just find a neighbor and say, I really want to go up there. Can you just watch my kiddos for me? Right? We can do that. We trust these people. These people came to church. Right? So go ahead. Don't let anything stop you. The band is going to play. Phil and I are going to be down here. Come down if you want prayer. We can just anoint you with oil, and that's us agreeing together. We don't know what God's going to give you, but he'll give it. And if you want prayer for something specific, let us know. Okay? All right.